welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. A reading from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord. Please rise. The Holy Gospel according to John, the fourth chapter. John writes, Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty 
or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Jesus meets the woman at the well. Famous, infamous, certainly well known. The story of a Samaritan woman. A seemingly unworthy creature to be elevated, to be mentioned in the gospel. What was in John's mind placing this account so early in his gospel and so soon after Jesus' fateful meeting with Nicodemus? Perhaps John used the gospel structure and that heat of the day encounter to accomplish several things at once. Given the fact that the near legendary story that I've read 
portions of to you is in itself lengthy and that the account is most often told in isolation, that is, as a reading on Sunday mornings such as this, devoid of context, some of the richness, I think, of John's magnificent mind can be obscured. And so let's, let's play with that a little bit this morning together. Not to mention, as we read it, we see the attractive, if not at one time, scandalous subtext to the, uh, to the lesson that Jesus was speaking to an unrelated woman, culturally a taboo, much less a Samaritan woman, and that the woman was blatantly immoral. It was right there for everybody to see. So today, let's just quickly acknowledge the obvious. A Samaritan woman traveling alone, came at noon to draw water. She neither came with friends nor early before the heat of the day, and there are reasons for that, and probably those reasons lie in who she was and what she had done that everybody knew about. Guilt and shame are powerful things. Yet Jesus chose to ask the woman for a drink, and that began an exchange of extended length, as you can see. The two touched on topics ranging from the nature of water, the history of the well, the woman's moral status eventually, and culminating in Jesus' revealing to her what he was always so guarded in telling others, his disciples, making them wander and talk among themselves about. Jesus replied to the woman's confession of faith, and I think that's what we have here is a confession of faith, I know that the Messiah is coming. He replied with the revelation, I who speak to you am he. Jesus' disciples were still only beginning to guess his identity, but he told this pathetic soul outright, and there must be a reason for that. So let's think bigger. Let's examine John's gospel more broadly, looking for any themes that we might be able to pick up on, any themes we might be able to find that could, uh, can be found so early after Jesus called his disciples. It's fourth chapter. Huh? Taken them to a wedding feast, marriage at Cana, there performed his first miracle, only to go on immediately after that to cause a huge disruption in the temple itself turning over tables, cracking a whip, ranting and raving, and finally announcing to all, for all to hear, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. If anyone had failed to notice Jesus before, they noticed him now. And I think that was precisely Jesus' intention. It was a very purposeful time. For Jesus, so active that John next recorded the by-night encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. There, Jesus explained to this curious Pharisee the necessity for a new kind of birth, a new kind of birth, a spiritual birth, a rebirth, a being born from, from above. A new way of seeing things. A new relationship with God. Expansive now, not exclusive. 
no longer law, but based upon faith. For only by such new birth, Jesus said, could one ever hope to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God's reign. Then Jesus revealed the very mind of God, I think, the reason for his coming, and also the plight of things as they are. Jesus explained to Nicodemus the words you know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. He goes on. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light. It was, it seems, God's intention to save the world. God was not saving just a people anymore, but the world itself. Jesus was the means by which the world would be saved, but Jesus knew the world would resist, preferring, in his words, darkness to light, even if fallen creation died in the process. And so Jesus' ministry from this point on would be both transformational and filled with light opposed by darkness. Following his conversation with Nicodemus, both Jesus and John the Baptist and their disciples were busy again. Quote, in the Judean countryside. Both bands, baptizing and preaching, we are told, active, busy. John, on the one hand, assuring his disciples that he was not the Messiah, but telling them and making known that as he decreased, there was yet another who would arise, and that one would increase. For indeed, the time was very near. Repent. The words we know so well. While in Judea, it seems Jesus heard that what he and John were doing and what he had done in the temple, for example, and what he and John were doing, baptizing and preaching, was indeed noticed by the Pharisees. And this prompted Jesus then to leave Judea and by the most direct route, head back to a friendlier Galilee by going through Samaria. Even though pious Jews should circumvent the land of the Samaritans, Jesus went through it. For Samaritans were held in contempt by Pharisees and their ilk. And that decision on Jesus' part resulted in today's fateful encounter at the well. Recall Jesus had told Nicodemus that God loved the world. Now, in accepting and revealing himself as the Messiah to the Samaritan woman, Jesus was proving it. Jesus announced salvation to the Samaritans. Granted, just to one woman initially, but as you know, in turn, she went and told many others in the town, and they came and they believed. 
And I think that is the 20,000 foot view of things as John intended. Two accounts sitting side by side, linking Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman together. Jesus explained the gospel to a pious Pharisee and offered hope to the most outside of outsiders, a Samaritan woman of no standing, even among Samaritans. Indeed, Jesus was thinking big, very big. For while his mission and ministry was to that small spit of land we know as Israel, his purpose was for imparting meaning, hope, salvation to the people of that region, and soon thereafter, all the world, that the world might be saved through him. In authoring his gospel, I suspect John the Evangelist perceived that people would come to think too small. I think John realized that people, being how they are, would think too small, and by that people would want to make Jesus their Jesus. Even worse, my Jesus. When in fact, God sent the Son into the world to save the world. The whole world. To save peoples yet unknown and indeed unimaginable to the nascent church. Your second lesson that you heard from Romans, Paul picked up on that. When he described Christ as the head of the church and of all things to Panta, all creation. How do you think the disciples would experience us today, I wonder? Should we take Peter, James, and John and place them not on the Mount of Transfiguration, but bring them here today into one of America's cities and surround them with modern technology, I think they'd be overwhelmed beyond speechless. They simply could not have imagined what we take for granted. But you see, God could. God could. The need for a new birth, a new way of seeing things, a new paradigm, a perspective not born of this world is perhaps more desperately needed now than even then or ever before. For it is not for lack of physical things. It's not for physical wants that we suffer, but spiritual things in the 21st century that men, women, and children ultimately hunger. For we humans profess light, but do we not manage to uncover ever darker shades of darkness along the way, just as Jesus said? For in many ways, people who have more than ever before can also be found to be pathetically wanting. If anything, the gap between life's Pharisees and life's Samaritans of the 21st century is wider than ever before. The bridge between the two, however, remains the same. Jesus Christ and him crucified. As Paul perceived long ago and so wrote to the then cosmopolitan congregation in Corinth, his letter to the Corinthians, the equivalent of New York City in its day. He wrote, Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. 
God's plan, God's wisdom, introduced in John's Gospel as the evangelist, I think, linked two very unlike souls together, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. For Jesus was thinking big, very big indeed. And the kingdom which he announced and established is growing and expanding to this very day. Amen. Amen. Would you please rise and join in singing our hymn of the day, number 439, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Let us now confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We We believe believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 KL Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.